Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 276 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. First of all, we'd like to thank Colonial Surety Company Bonds and Insurance for bringing you this podcast. Whatever court bonds you need, get a quote and purchase online at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcast. And we'd also like to thank ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted pre-screened process servers, work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit servenow.com to learn more. And we want to mention that the second edition of our book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, is available now on Amazon. Everyone gr- agrees that collaboration is essential in today's world, but now, more than ever before, knowing the right tools will make all the difference. Well, as I like to say at the start of our recent podcast, what a difference another week or two makes. And big changes just keep rolling along. I guess the the only good thing is that we're almost to the end of 2020. In our last episode, we talked about how to become a video star. Now it's time for our annual end of the year show. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be wrapping up 2020 in our traditional style. Longtime listeners will know that ESPN's Pardon the Interruption show, also known as PTI, uh, with Tony Kornheiser and Michael Wilbon, was one of our inspirations for the podcast way back when. Our tradition is to use some elements of the show for the format of this recap episode uh, and kind of bend them to our purposes. And to do that, we have a special guest, our favorite fan of the show, Debbie Foster. Thanks for joining us for this episode, Debbie. Glad to be here. And for those of you familiar with PTI, you'll recognize some of your favorite segments. For those unfamiliar with the show, we're going to have three segments in this episode. Toss-up, in which we purposely take multiple opposing sides of a legal tech topic. What's the word, in which we fill in the blank on a statement about a legal tech topic with a well-chosen word. And our own new segment, Buzzword Bingo, in which we categorize a legal tech buzzword as overused, underused, or rightly used. And as usual, we end with our fast response, big finish to give you, Debbie and Dennis, a sneak preview of the results and really to continue a yearly tradition. I win every segment. So let's get started. Uh, let's start first, Debbie. And for those of you, for those of us in the audience who don't know Debbie, please give us a quick introduction and a hello. Absolutely. So thanks for having me, guys. My name is Debbie Foster. I'm with the Affinity Consulting Group, and I work with law firms and have for 20 plus years helping them understand how to best leverage the technology that they have. And I am a self-proclaimed super fan of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thank you, Debbie. With someone like Debbie on the show, it is truly amazing that I am still going to win all of these competitions. Uh, Good luck to you in the game. Our first segment is called Toss Up. In Toss Up, all of us are required to take a different side on a topic, which is interesting since there are three of us uh, on this conversation. Each of us argues his or her position, and at the end, as usual, I declare myself the winner. Dennis, are the rules clear? No agreeing here. I disagree about the rules and the results. In fact, I disagree with the whole system. But here's our first toss-up question. 
Many people are saying that 2020 and COVID accelerated the legal profession's move to the cloud and other new technologies by at least 10 years in 10 months. Anyone buying that? So I'll go first and I will say, I will say that it was accelerated. I don't know about 10 years. I believe that um, law firms and lawyers were forced to unnaturally do things that they weren't intending to do and um, found that it wasn't the horrible, awful thing that they thought it was going to be. Um, I think that, um, as I've been saying in multiple times, that don't waste a good crisis. And I think that to a certain extent, um, the legal community has, has not wasted it. Now, whether we've made the kind of advances that you and I and Debbie would expect or want to see on something, uh, you know, and what we usually talk about on this podcast about lawyers not moving fast enough or adopting things soon enough. Um, I, I can't really agree with that. I still keep hearing about going back to things as normal once we're all able to, to go back to the office and, and do things again. So I'm not convinced. I will say there are more people using the cloud. There are more people adopting collaboration tools, which we'll talk about more here. Um, but uh, I, I think you got to start somewhere. Debbie. Yeah, you know, I think that there has definitely been some big changes. And from a technology perspective, I think what happened at the very beginning is people figured out how to do it. And what we are seeing now is people are rolling back a bit and trying to figure out how to do it right, right? They just, they had to get it done. They got it done quickly. Some of it was band-aids and bubble gum and paperclip and super glue. And now they're going back and saying, does this really make sense? Especially because people are looking at this, none of us thought in December of 2020, when this all came to be back in March, that we would still be facing it. So I think that there is some re-examination of what the firms did to move and make the shift to people being able to work from anywhere. But I think where I've seen the culture shift, the example, the well, part of what you said in the question, 10 years of change in the last 10 months, I think that there is some truth to that in a lot of firms when it comes to the culture. I think that back in January or February, there were still a lot of lawyers, the vast majority of, let's say, boomers and traditionalists who thought, if the person isn't sitting in the office right down the hall from me, how would I ever know that they're working? Or if my paralegal or my legal assistant isn't sitting out my do out front, outside my door and I can't yell when I need something, how will I ever be able to survive? And I think that shift, while I agree there still are a lot of people who are talking about getting back to normal and getting back to being in the office, there's been a significant leap from a culture perspective in the work from home, flexible schedule, perhaps even hybrid model of how people will get their work done. So I think that's been actually pretty amazing to see. So a couple of things. So one is that um, I think there are a lot of people um, in sometimes largely unappreciated ways who did a ton of work this year to to move things forward and kind of keep keep the doors open, keep revenues coming in, keep the technology working, uh, get get the work out. And I truly hope that they're bonused uh, massively this year, and they're not uh, let go in January or the first or the first time there's a little bit of a downturn. So I, I but I think the jury's still out on that. What, what I've noticed is there was this initial move and there's been some follow-up, but it's actually fairly small steps. You know, people figured out how to use Zoom. 
but almost just to use it. They figured out e-signatures, uh, big, massive development for for many lawyers, uh, which always makes me laugh because I always wonder why it took so long uh, since they could have read the seminal article that Chip Findell and I wrote about e-signatures in 2001 and been ahead of the game. But I think there's... Uh, it seems there's very incremental things, and it doesn't reflect so much at this point um, the the changes that clients want across the board in access to lawyers, in simplification, and the use of technology. And I really don't think it has an impact on what the courts are starting to do. And I have my my perspective on this is a little bit uh, biased, I guess, by seeing what's happening in Michigan. But I would say that the court systems uh, seem to be the one that are moving faster than time is moving. So I think they've moved actually a couple of years on are putting in the, the processes to move even further for, forward in a, in a short time. So I, there have been some things happening, but I, I think if you're saying it's, a, it's a, just this, you know, gargantuan shift, I don't see that. I would just say one, if I can just add one last thing, I think we've joked before and used the phrase necessity is the mother of invention uh, when we're talking to our clients just about implementing technology. But that really came true in this situation, right? Yes, they could have known about digi digital signatures all the way back to 2001. Yes, they could have had video conferencing and web meetings, and they could have made that a more normal part of a, the average lawyer's day where it made sense before. But it wasn't necessary because there was still the old way. And I think what has happened is the perspective and the shift in mindset now in just some of these lawyers and some of our clients, I've seen it with our clients where they're looking and saying, wow, we would have never believed that if you would have said, this is what's going to happen over the next 10 months, we would have never believed that we could actually pull that off. But now we've seen that we can, and it was painful, but it was necessary. And so they managed to do things that they never believed that they would or could do because it became necessary. And I hope that some of that spills over post pandemic where people look and see the kind of grit and the kind of just, you know, like get it done mentality that they had to have and they had to figure out. I hope that some of that lasts. All right, up to our next question, our next toss up. Here it is. The most interesting legal tech developments are happening in the access to justice area. Debbie, you go first. I'm not sure that I believe that that is true. So I'm going to basically disagree with that because I think that while there is still a giant struggle and there's so much data out there, I think about the um, the comments that Jack Newton made at the Clio conference about the number of lawyers, how many the lawyers there are, and still how many people are struggling to get the legal help that they need. And I know that there's been a lot of great work done from a grant perspective with legal aid uh, organizations, but I don't see where that has been really interesting legal tech developments. I think it's just been trying to get uh, the legal aid organizations caught up to be able to deliver those services. Yeah, I, I actually think it is a very hot area, and but it's one of several. 
And when I look to things is I think we if we look in the usual places, we may not see everything that's going on. So I've just been really encouraged in the past year by things like at Suffolk Law School, other places where people putting together apps uh, to help people with with COVID and other issues, with immigration issues, with expungement issues. Um, to really simplify and streamline what's happening, to deal with the pro se crisis of, of, you know, the real difficulty the courts are having with people representing themselves. There's definitely a lot happening at the high end, uh, you know, especially out of, I would say, what I tend to call the London firms and, and definitely stuff outside the U.S. in the area of, of data um, and a little bit of AI um, and and sort of the higher end. And I think there's some uh, small and mid-sized firms who are really focused on uh, client things and, and working on that. And I would say um, the other thing that I've been really impressed by is this, this move to technology to help people actually uh, bring in the revenue to kind of make online payments possible and those kinds of things. And that is that was a necessity thing, but that's, I think, really modernized uh, part of the back office. And so I, I'm going to take issue with the, or actually I'm going to frame my answer by taking issue with the statement by, by saying that I think that maybe the not most interesting developments are happening in access to justice, but to borrow Debbie's phrase from the last question, the most necessary developments are happening in access to justice. And, and Dennis, what you bring up is important. Um, I mean, this is in a year where we've used the word extraordinary or lack of precedent to meet to for so many things. And immigration, um, people being evicted, having tools that allow lo- uh, le- that allow consumers to be able to put off being evicted um, is a tremendous thing in an unprecedented time that we're dealing with. And so the fact that um, people are coming to and responding to the needs of the things that are happening here to me is extraordinary and 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 necessary. Um, is it all that interesting? I don't know that the tools. I mean, the the, the tool to get your can your eviction done. You're filling out a form. I mean, it's very simple. It's there's not a, 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 a you know this just amazing thing, but it is absolutely necessary that it's getting done, and I applaud that. So the third one is online meetings have transformed the world. Tom, what do you say about that? So my my general answer is yes, they have transformed the world, but that is not, I would say that transformation is not necessarily a good thing. The one thing that actually is good about it and what I and my company have learned over the past year is that meeting remotely and meeting people out not being in person is possible it's not something that's necessary that you have to be there in person now you know we make our living by traveling and meeting with clients and being there and there is definitely a value of the in-person but um the fact that we've been able to 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 maintain a successful business model virtually, I think is an important fact of of how it has how whatever transformation this is. Um, where I and I think the other big transformation is in the area of online um, trials and hearings. The fact that the courts are having to move to uh, to online systems for for dealing with things, um, some more successful than others. Uh, I'm I still and Dennis and I've talked about this on a prior podcast 
podcast. I still think that there are innovations to be made in the technologies. I just don't think it's enough to just have a Zoom room for a trial. I think that there is a a way to customize Zoom or Microsoft Teams or something out there that really benefits litigators or people who are trying cases in court, and that's around the corner. Um, so I think that's that is a transformation that is begun that I still think has a lot to do. Um, but I think I'm gonna I'm gonna reserve the rest of my answer, Debbie, for you because I think that that they've transformed the world, but not necessarily in a good way. And I'm sure you're gonna cover that a little bit in in your response. But first, we hear from Dennis. As to no surprise of neither of you and probably our audience, I am like the biggest fan of online meetings there can possibly be. I just see it as a new medium, tons of potential. I've taught one, two, three classes online, done a bunch of webinars. Uh, I had like 25 different types of Zoom meetings last week. I just, it's, uh, there's so much happening there, so much potential. Um, that uh, it, it just seems like a new, almost a creative medium to me. So I, I think it there's a lot, so many pluses, I, uh, and and just more things to explore as we kind of take the learnings from elsewhere uh, and get better at that. The one thing I will say is that people doing on the online meetings who don't use chat at the same time are are just missing out on it ton of potential uh, with that. So if you're going to do anything in 2021 on online meetings, like figure out how to do the chat. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So I have they transformed the world? I, I think the the obvious answer there because of what our current situation looks like is yes. It is definitely for me made me think a lot about what my life will look like after this and where there are opportunities to not get on an airplane and go somewhere. I hear people talking a lot about Zoom fatigue, and I, I chuckle because I think for me, I've just traded airplane fatigue and airport fatigue and fast food fatigue and Uber fatigue and hotel fatigue for Zoom fatigue. So you're going to be fatigued about something. It's work. I mean, you know, I, I, I welcome it. And I actually think it's been a really positive thing for me personally and for our company. The last five or six years, I've traveled 250-ish days a year. And it's crazy that I've been home for the last 10 months. So I think it's a good thing. I do think one thing I do want to mention, our friend Matt Homan put a tip on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago that has changed the way that I feel about Zoom meetings. And that is turning off the self-view in the video that he posted on LinkedIn, he said, it's not like you walk into a live meeting with a mirror, you know, so you can see yourself and you can see everyone that you're meeting with. And when you're seeing yourself, it's like you're attending two meetings. You're looking at yourself, like, what does my background look like? What about my hair? What's behind me? What's going on? And you would never, that's not how you would ever act in an actual meeting. And I think that has just been a game changer for me in how I interact and pay attention in a meeting. I don't know if it's just going to date me, but I, I think back to the Princess Purple Rain uh, movie and the uh, uh, the guy with the uh, uh, with his assistant holding the mirror for him. So, you know, some of these things come back to us. Uh, so last question. I think this is a year of new media um, and new approaches and new channels. So... Um, I want to ask if you were to sum up your thoughts on 2020 and you want to get them out to the world, how would you do that? Uh, 
tweet stream, a Substack newsletter, a YouTube video, a TikTok, a blog post, or, or something else. Tom? So because you said 2020, and again, because this is an extraordinary year, for me, the answer is is easy. It's Substack. And the reason is, is a couple of things. I, we're seeing people who've lost their jobs. We've seen people who um, are being laid off from traditional media or people who are looking for extra ways to make money by writing. They're good writers, they need a platform, and they want to make money doing it. And Substack is really a unique platform to be able to allow people to charge for their newsletters. We've seen several very famous writers and journalists move away from there or either leave or get fired or decide to run their own business. They've moved over to Substack. I think the top the top 10 contributors on Substack are making upwards of $10 million a year um, on, on the writing that they're doing. And um, I, I highly recommend uh, the Recode Decode podcast with the CEO of Substack. It was just this past week that we were recording. Um, very worthwhile. But I think that Substack newsletters are a new model. It's a bizarre that I'm saying that about newsletters, that the newsletters are actually a thing again. Um, but it is a new business model on how to make money and, and do writing that I think is truly interesting. And I'm interested to see where it goes. I'm going to go with just your standard YouTube video that I share on, on social platforms. Um, I'm, uh, you can call that a little bit old school. But if I'm really being honest, I had to Google Substack. And I knew that you had mentioned it in a previous podcast. I think your last podcast I listened to and I meant to go check it out. And then when I, I saw it in our, our notes, I was like, what was that again? I'm like, no, I, w I definitely wouldn't use that. So I'm going YouTube video, straight up social media. And my answer is uh, actually going to be my Mighty Networks community, uh, the Kennedy Idea Propulsion Laboratory community. I love the the idea of, of, of a sort of private uh network uh, that turns into a community or a group that uh, can put content through. So that'd be number one. I hate tweet streams more than anything, as most people who know me know. Uh, email newsletters, just don't send another one at me. I do like video. And also, I would say that, as Tom would know, I would actually use every possible media I could to put uh, information out. And that's it for Toss Up. And I guess as predicted, I, and I'm hoping all of you agree, I clearly won. Oh, God. What? All right, all right, all right. We got to move on to our next topic, which is what's the word? In this segment, we're going to have a sentence about a legal tech topic that has a blank in it. Each of us has to come up with the best word or maybe series of words to fill in the blank. Dennis, what is our first sentence? I think it's really supposed to be one word, Tom. The combination of the adoption of the ethical duty of technology competence in many states and moves by California, Utah, Arizona, and a few other states to open up or re-regulate the legal uh, profession has had a or an blank impact on the legal profession. So my word is hopeful, but with a question mark, um, because I'm not real sure. I mean, we've talked so much. We talk all the time about the ethical duty of technology competence, and I never see anything being done about it. I see more states adopting it as the duty, but I never see that anything ever comes out of it. So either they're all being ethical or we just don't really, we're just paying lip service to it. So I'm not sure that that means anything these days. Um, I am, though, 
more encouraged by opportunities to re-regulate the legal profession, to look at other ways of doing this. I think that this is not the only way that we're looking at it, but ways that the, that the, 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 the whole law firm lawyer model is just in need of innovation and modernization. And if creating these sandboxes um, where they can uh, practice on some of these things in states is, is a first step to doing that, then I'm all in favor of, of the efforts that they're doing because I think it's what pushes us forward. Whether it's having an effect now, eh, but I'm hopeful for the future. Debbie. My word is meh, slang. Is that a word? Uh, it's it's a, yeah, it's it's, a, it's slang meh okay fair um, I I count it I count it I look at it like foreign language in high school or college if it that's your major and you're engaged and you're interested and you want to learn more about it you're going to be amazing and and that that mandatory requirement is going to be excellent for you and if you're not you simply are checking boxes and you're reading newspapers you're on your iPad you're playing solitaire you're just not really invested in it I mean I. I took Spanish because it was, everyone said it was the easiest and it was required. And do I remember anything? Uh, hola, that's about it. I, I, I really don't remember anything about it. I was not engaged. And I just feel like forcing people to do something that they're not really interested in is not necessarily the best way to get them to be technologically competent. And I'm going to be very definitive and say, infinitesimal. <laughs> and I'm kind of an optimist on this. I I just don't see, I, I think COVID did way more than regulations did and rules did. And uh, there's re-regulation notion. I, if, you, if you force me to make a prediction, I'd say change is going to come from litigation um, and probably sooner rather than later. And that's where I would be looking for change. All right. Next sentence. The one new legal technology all lawyers should be learning about is blank. Debbie. I'm going to go with the apps in Microsoft 365. And I'm saying that those are new because every time I turn around, I'm like, what's that? There's another new one. They're just constantly adding to it. And there are actually some really useful tools in Microsoft 365. And for, for me, my one world, or my one word is uh, collaboration tools, baby. That's you said one word. word. You said one word. It is one word to me. <laughs> and then for me, uh, mine is I, uh, mine is like <laughs> six words. Getting better at video and audio. So I'm going to go back to our earlier topic about how meetings, online meetings are transforming the world. Um, they're transforming the world, but not everybody is good at having the right sound, the best sound, having a good camera that makes you look good. I mean, if you're representing clients and you're seeing clients or you're in a courtroom, I mean, looking professional and looking like you know what you're doing, I think is important. So make the effort to learn better about the video tools that you can possibly use, the audio tools that will make you sound better. And I think it will make you come across better in this new world of online meetings. All right, the third question. Teaching legal tech to law students is blank, Dennis. Rapidly changing. So there was a huge pivot that happened in March, basically in one week, where classes went from in-person to online. And I think that prompted a lot of change and rethinking. 
Um, but there is there is a difficulty that I see more that I'm in the law schools is the way that uh, legal education sort of focuses on appellate advocacy um, when you kind of reduce it to its uh, least common denominator that um, it's hard to find places for the actual tool, the tech tools that lawyers use in practice. And I think that's starting to be seen uh, by students as something that they need and by the law schools as something that they need to think about providing. And my word is no-brainer. I, I take look at this from a different angle, which is um, I would say that most law school students these days are digital natives. They know how to use technology, but teaching le- but le- legal technology is, I think, a very different thing. And it's amazing how little they understand how to use some of the tools that we need to use in order to be good lawyers for our clients. Um, I will say it is kind of interesting to me how our answers to, to this question are... Uh, um, very positive and saying yes, yes, yes. Whereas when we were talking about the effect that teaching technology competence is has having an infinitesimal effect on on the legal profession, but teaching technology, no, no, we're all in favor of it. I find that interesting, Debbie. So I think it's necessary. I think we should absolutely be doing it. But I worry sometimes, and I've been involved in a bunch of law practice management classes with different law schools where I've done some guest lectures on things like what is practice management software why should you use it and i worry sometimes about the context like is that the right time to tell them about that tool and will they really remember that later so i'm all for it because i think there should be some exposure to it i just wish that we could add in and i know it's not technically technology but i wish that we could add in what it all means and not just keeping track of things, but how do you report on it? How do you understand your firm? How do you understand your business? I just wish we could take that a little bit further in not just how do I use the technology tools to practice law, but how do I use the technology to run my business and help me understand what makes me successful? And that's it for What's the Word. And I'm happy to say that I've racked up another Tomongus victory. Wait, wait, come on. (laughs) All right, sorry, Dennis. We've got to go to a break. Uh, Let's go to a quick break from our sponsors before we get on with our next segment. Wish you could get a quote and purchase an appeal, trustee, estate, or any other court or fiduciary bond quickly online? Colonial Surety Company has every bond you need and is a direct insurer that's U.S. Treasury listed, licensed in all 50 states and territories, and rated A excellent by AM Best. So you can be confident it's a trusted resource. Get started at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcast. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry, connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. 
And I'm Dennis Kennedy, along with our special guest, Debbie Foster. I'm not sure about the judging uh, on this show. Do I get to throw a challenge flag? Debbie, don't you think Tom is definitely doing some home cooking as our referee? Uh, absolutely. I'm not uh, sure hold, if this is really hold, a contest. Hold on there. Now, that's a delay of game penalty right there. We're going to move on. It's time for our new segment, and that's Buzzword Bingo. Dennis, want to introduce this for us? Tom, this is a new innovation for us that might disrupt, well, everything. It has AI, blockchain, legal process optimization, ALSPs, and so much more. We'll mention a 2020 legal tech buzzword and categorize it as underused, overused, or rightly used. Tom, buzz away on the first topic. All right. So the first topic is AI, machine learning, and RPA, the trifecta. I'm going to go, my word is underused. I think we should be talking about it more. However, I struggle sometimes because I I watch our clients struggle with things like formatting a Word document. And I think the next topic should be AI machine learning and RPA. (laughs) That just seems a little crazy. But I do think we should be talking about it more. Dennis. I also think it's underused. Um, I think that... uh, RPA is probably the most underused one that actually in the environment we currently have. And what I see happening is with the courts um, during COVID, we're going to have gigantic backlogs and lots of things going on. And it's going to force some automation. So this robotic process automation is one approach that will help us do this. I think we also need to talk a lot about AI and machine learning because uh, typically the data sets that we're training to help us in these tools tend to look at the data we already have. And we're gonna have 2020 as this incredibly anomalous year, uh, or at least we hope it will be. Um, And that's gonna have an impact on, on all of those tools. So I expect actually a lot more discussion of all of these areas then the people who say it's tired and worn out uh, want to think it's going to happen. So here's the deal. I I agree that terms like machine learning, that RPA are probably underused in the context that y'all are talking about. I will say, though, that AI is so overused to the extent that people use it in a sentence for whatever they want to talk about. And we, they say, here's our new tool, now with AI. I mean, there's a there's a domain name that's .ai that all of these tools are now having, mytool.ai. And I think we are becoming um, totally just numb to the idea of AI. I completely agree with the fact that we should know more about it. But I think that we are, that, that people start to take for granted that something has AI in it without actually really knowing what it means. And, and, and what's, what, what, what does that mean when you say it now comes with AI? I think that there is a need to learn about it. I think that it is too much of a buzzword and not enough education around it. So our next word is zooming. Dennis, you're up first. I can't use zooming uh, enough. You know, I I feel like I coined the term zoominar earlier this year. Um, it's just amazing how it's uh, it's just become uh, you know one of these words like band aid. You know, that's just kind of taken over. And uh, I read this uh, tweet recently where somebody's talking about their elderly parents were uh, just talking about doing an online call, and they just called it as Zoom. They just thought that was the word for it. So uh, 
um, just so many possibilities with just using Zoom to create new new words off of. Uh, it's a great opportunity. Oh my gosh, this word is so overused. I cannot get through the day without hearing. I'm going to Zoom this and I'm going to Zoom that. And I suppose that part of this is because uh, I'm a Microsoft Teams fan and I can't really say that I've been Teamsing all day or anything like that. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, but I mean, I, I, I guess it's okay, but my gosh, do we have to keep saying that word? Uh, I say it's rightly used. I love it. I am I am a happy, happy Zoom user. And when I have to do use a Teams meeting, I'm not as happy as when I'm in a Zoom meeting. So I'm a big Zoom fan. I say rightly used. Okay. And our last one, the famous getting back to the office. So who's saying this? I be, and the, I say that because in, in my business, I have none of my clients, the companies that I work with are not talking about going back to the office. They are entrenched. They're like, we have made a practice of working from home and being successful at it. And there's not any discussion about that. So I would say that um, in the world that I'm living in, it is underused. It's not being used that often because people are re re reacting to the reality of, 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 of what's going on and are, and, and are acting accordingly. So for me, I think it's sometimes overused, sometimes underused. You all know I'm in Florida and we live in the state where there is not a single solitary COVID restriction right now. And the majority of our clients in Florida are back in the office. And many of them actually never left. They law firms were essential and never left. In other areas, our clients are not talking about going back to the office and are talking about what they're going to do about real estate, how they're going to reconfigure their offices. There's a lot of really interesting conversations going on about how people will utilize office space. But a lot of it is just, it depends where they are. It depends who's running the show and who's making the decisions, but I'm definitely still hearing when we get back to the office or now that we're back in the office, I, I'm still hearing that all the time. Yeah, so you both make great points. So where I hear this most, I mean, I heard it a lot um, in the context of, of big law firms early in the summer and, to, and they did a lot of work on it. And then to their surprise, uh, what they found was that um, only 25% of people wanted to come back to the office and, and, it, and the partners typically did not want to come back. Uh, and then you see it, you know, depending on the part of the country and all those things um, will, will also play, play a part in it. So I think it's, it's way overused because I think we're, we're all thinking that the COVID is going to be gone, you know, in fairly short order. And I think that's highly optimistic. Uh, so I, th I think the getting back to the office is overused, but I think what's underused is defining what office means in the future. And this just in, I won again, and that's no buzzword. All right, it's on to the big finish. We're ready to go. We're going to answer six questions in 60 seconds. That's 10 seconds a question, folks. All right, Debbie, here's number one for you. Debbie, what's your best tech decision of 2020? Tom, this is going to burn your ears, but it was my iPhone switching from Android to an iPhone. <laughs> That's just heresy. <laughs> All right, Dennis, your favorite new tech tool. 
Well, there's part of me wants to say I, I've discovered these black wing pencils with these two hole sharpeners, uh, but I don't know whether that counts as a tech tool. But I, I gotta go with Zoom, I think. Tom, of course, you know I'm going to ask you this: what's what is the best Google product of 2021? And what's funny is that I didn't plan this based on Debbie's answer, but I will say that my favorite Google product this year is my Pixel 5, which didn't get the best reviews, but I will tell you, it's like it knows me. I open it up and it knows which app I want. It knows what to do for me. It gives me the right news. It just knows who I am. Can your Apple iPhone really say the same thing? <laughs> All right, Debbie. It's because... What? It's because... Nope. No, wait, 60 Google seconds. Is, 60 seconds. Google has strip mined your, your whole... All, uh, all of your life. Of course it knows what, what you all want. All right. What tech do you most want your lawyer clients to explore in 2021? We have a really big initiative around getting our clients off of what we call the antique roadshow software. All that old, old, old stuff that so many of them are still using. You know, the ones you had to put a CD-ROM in a CD-ROM drive and click next, next, finish. They're still using some of those programs. So that's actually our big push in 2021. Dennis, best new tech you saw in 2020 that people will be talking about in 2021. Although this has been around for a while, I think the new generation is mind-blowing. And Tom and I talked have talked at length about this. We both have the Oculus Quest 2, and I just think virtual reality is amazing. Tom, your best tip all around for 2021. Well, you added that all around word, so but I'm still going to give my, my tip. And this is a preview of upcoming podcasts and what I think we're really going to do. But in the area of personal knowledge management, try out Notion. Notion is a fabulous tool. We think you'll love it. We're going to tell you more about it in our upcoming podcast, but that's my best tip for 2021. So that was 2020, a year like no other, uh, we hope. And we're all ready to move on to 2021 with a bunch of great new topics ideas to share with you and guests. Thank you, Debbie, for joining us again. And Debbie, tell us, uh, tell our listeners how best to reach you. Uh, you can get me on LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash Debbie Foster. My email address is dfoster at affinityconsulting.com. Would love to hear from you. And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Ma Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for this show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site, where you can find archives of all of our previous shows along with transcripts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can always reach out to us on LinkedIn or leave us a voicemail. Remember, for our B segments, we love to answer questions. That number is 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network. <laughs>